Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fit the Mission. I identify as a Bay Area native more than anything else. I attribute my world perspective, my own relationship to society, through the lens of being born and raised in a place with so much diversity. The first time I moved away was to attend UC San Diego after high school. I was thrust into a new environment. The campus population at that time was 41% Asian, and suddenly I was part of the largest racial group at school. It was a jarring transition. What did that mean? It was the first time I felt compelled to examine my own racial identity and what it meant to be Asian American. As an undergrad, I made it my personal quest. I took ethnic studies courses, learned about privilege and oppression, and engaged in spaces that critically examined the racial dynamics of our country. In other words, the Bay Area bubble I was born into popped. I realized that it wasn't enough to just say I grew up with diversity. Learning about race and my own racial identity took intentional effort. California is trying to make the process more seamless for its high schoolers than it did for me. In 2021, Governor Gavin Newsom signed into law Assembly Bill 101, making California the first state in the nation to make ethnic studies a high school graduation requirement. It's a law that stands out, especially now, as conservative states across the country are trying to control what teachers can or cannot say about race in the classroom. For example, Florida recently banned anything that could cause discomfort for students, including discussions of race, gender, and sexuality. Even though California has taken a strong stance in supporting ethnic studies curricula, another kind of debate is brewing locally. Today on Fit the Mission, Chronicle Education reporter Jill Tucker is here to discuss how local school districts in the Bay Area are confronting the new Ethnic Studies High School graduation requirement. What approaches are people advocating for, and how do they differ from each other? And what can California teach the rest of the country about how to talk about race with young students? Jill Tucker, great to have you here. Oh, my pleasure. Nice to be here. So, Jill, while we've seen a lot of debates about ethnic studies across the country, in 2021, California became the first state in the country to require ethnic studies in high schools. And many high schools in the state have been teaching this for years. But what's the standard curriculum that's now expected in high school classrooms? Essentially, the class of 2030 will be the first required to take an ethnic studies course uh, before they graduate. And, you know, this, as you said, is the first in the nation. And I think even before they passed this law, they've been trying to figure out how to teach ethnic studies, what to teach. It's already been a debate in the state just creating a model curriculum. And so right now, a lot of school districts do teach it. There is no single curriculum that everyone is using. So we're looking at a lot of districts in the state still trying to figure this out. Uh, A lot of teachers individually looking at how they're going to do lesson plans. And as one might imagine, that's creating a, a bit of a kerfuffle. So to clarify, the state is saying this has to happen 
for the graduating class of 2030, but they're not telling schools how to do it. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Just like any other subject, math or science or or any of the other subjects in school, there's a model curriculum that the state offers. But that doesn't mean that schools and teachers have a daily lesson plan from the state. It's a model curriculum that gives guidance, but it's not mandatory. And teachers are going to develop their own lesson plans. Districts are going to adopt their own curriculum, their own textbooks. And of course, teachers, you know, they love to be creative. They're going to bring in their own ideas and questions. You know, but ethnic studies, when you're talking about race and ethnicities and white supremacy, it all of a sudden becomes a lot more fraught. Mm -hmm. Well, to talk about how fraught this has gotten, let's take a little bit of a step back. Can you remind us about the push to require ethnic studies in California? What was the journey like to get this through? San Francisco Unified was one of the first to bring in ethnic studies. But the reality is ethnic studies goes back to the 1960s at San Francisco State University. And it came out of the liberal movement to acknowledge race and and part of the civil rights movement. So San Francisco was one of the first to bring in ethnic studies courses, black studies, Chicano studies, etc. And these courses really were recognizing racism and the impact of all of that on people and society. So fast forward to about 2010, when San Francisco said, hey, you know, we should be bringing this in and having kids start seeing their own histories, their own backgrounds in the curriculum. You know, history is has often been taught only in one way from the perspective of Anglo or European, as opposed to the contributions of disadvantaged communities, of people of color and people from across the world. And so they decided that they were going to start teaching and modeled it to a certain degree after the college courses, but really giving kids a chance to explore their own family histories, their own ethnicities in terms of history, in terms of oppression. And basically, as that was unrolling over the last 10 years, Stanford did a study taking a look at kids who took the course and who didn't take the course. And they did this study in 2014 and then followed up in 2021 and found out that the kids who took that course were more likely to attend school, they were more likely to graduate, and they were more likely to attend college. And so that study, along with sort of just a greater awareness, I think, across the country, of race. And um, certainly 2021, as, as when they adopted this requirement, the country was having its own conversation about race and police brutality and, and all of those things that were wrapped up into the Black Lives Matter and, and other issues, the anti-Semitism issues, the sh- mass shootings that were happening in churches and other places, targeting people of color or different ethnic groups. So really, I think ethnic studies came out of a long history going back many decades, but is kind of coming to a point right now with where we are in society talking about race. And even the state's task force to establish ethnic studies in California high schools, that wasn't an easy process, was it? 
No, developing the model curriculum even before the requirement happened started in about 2016. The first iteration was widely criticized with many complaining that it was very dogmatic or that it ignored um, anti-Semitism or that it was too pro-Palestine or pushing one uh, belief system or a very liberal belief system. So they kind of went back to the drawing board and it took several iterations and 100,000 comments and and lots of public uh, and, and political conversations for them to come up with the current model curriculum, um, which is not meant to be dogmatic anyway, but to get students to think critically about these issues, to have conversations about these issues, much to the chagrin of, of some folks who really wanted students to be empowered and aware of, of what was happening in the world. So, Jill, I want to talk about the approaches to the curriculum a little bit more. As local communities now are being left to figure out how to implement ethnic studies into the classroom, many are advocating for an approach called the liberated approach. What does that look like? The liberated approach comes out of, to a certain degree, the university ethnic studies courses, which were a little bit more focused on an activist approach you know, looking at racism, looking at oppression, looking at colonialism, and really um, focusing on what was happening, what has happened, and what needs to be done to stop it. In one case, they talk about the purpose of ethnic studies is to eliminate racism and intersectional forms of oppression, quote unquote. And that purpose must be, quote, upheld both in and outside the classroom, meaning this is not an academic subject. This is a subject that is experienced day in and day out in our communities. There is no right answer. There's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of what is happening in society and building into the students a responsibility to act on that and be a part of a solution to racism. That type of thing pushes a lot of buttons. You know, you have parents saying, look, I want my kid to go to school and learn their ABCs and math and then go to college and, you know, be successful and happy. And that school isn't a place to learn about activism and discrimination and oppression other than from, you know, a historical perspective, for example. But for those that support the liberated curriculum, you know, this is incredibly important that students are exposed to the reality of history, to the reality of current society, and to understand their role in that. More with Jill Tucker after a quick break. How are California teachers and school administrators feeling about implementing an ethnic studies curriculum? And what do students want? We'll be right back. Did you know the number one way people discover new podcasts is word of mouth from their friends? So if you enjoy Fifth Emission, we'd love it if you tell someone about our show, even if it's just one person. Thanks for helping us make new friends. Jill Tucker, before the break, you described the liberated approach to teaching ethnic studies. For people who are opposed to it but agree that ethnic studies or some version of it should happen, what do they think that curriculum should look like? Right. So that side is often referred to as maybe constructive ethnic studies. The constructive side really looks at ethnic studies, which they believe is important, to be something where students are looking at 
history of racism, looking at their own ethnicity, their own background, contributions from people of their own ethnicity. But at the same time, it isn't negative per se. They're taught to think critically about racism or white supremacy, but really given the perspective to think about it and come up with their own ideas. Um, As one parent told me, she wants it to be more positive, right? Looking at the positives of various ethnicities and race um, rather than being negative and telling students that their ethnicity is discriminated against and feeling bad about themselves, as one parent said. And so it is a little bit of a activist raised fist mentality for the liberated side and maybe more of a kumbaya, let's all get along on the constructive side. Now, that is an oversimplification of both sides because this is incredibly complicated and trying to explain where different people are coming from because no one thinks exactly the same way. Uh, but that's kind of the general general feel. Mm-hmm. The pushback, I imagine, Jill, to maybe the approach that's what you're calling constructive curriculum I mean, we're talking about race here, so that inherently means we're talking about uncomfortable truths in history. I mean, isn't discomfort also part of the learning process? Well, yeah, one would think so, except Florida just passed a law saying that teachers can't talk about race in any way that could make students uncomfortable. So we're really in this, you know, moment in time where we're questioning some of even the most fundamental aspects of an education. You know, I don't know if the constructive side is worried about kids being uncomfortable, but I think that they they see things from a more let's look at the positives and go from there versus focusing on the negatives and anger and us versus them and a lot of that type of thing. And we see that to a certain degree reflected in the politics of the country. Now, what about young people themselves? What do students have to say about their experience with ethnic studies as it's taught now? Parents aside, are they expressing how they want to learn about these topics? I think students just in general, they want to talk about these things. What I've heard, you know, in talking to the students, they loved the class because it felt like they were seen especially the students of color, they felt like they had a place to be who they were, to talk about their family background, to talk about racism and discrimination that they or their ancestors experience. And so I think they love the class in general. I I haven't heard of a lot of students say that they didn't like the class, those that have taken it already. But as the superintendent in San Mateo Union High School District said, you know, these kids are getting bombarded with this stuff 24-7 on their phones. They're already aware of it. If they're not experiencing it themselves, they're seeing it in many forms on their cell phone. To pretend that they're not seeing racism or they're not aware of these issues, you know, is not very realistic. They're exposed to it all the time, which is, as he said, why it makes ethnic studies critically important to teach, because they need a place to process all of this. Mm -hmm. This is such a big task to implement this curriculum for California teachers and school district administrators. How are they feeling about this? I think a lot of them, when I've talked to them, they feel stuck in the middle, 
Because, you know, as they said, this isn't one way or the other. This isn't constructive or liberated, that there is, you know, a continuum of things to teach in ethnic studies and ways to teach it. I think most people agree that they want kids to critically think, that they want them to care about the world around them and try to make it better. Um, So there's a lot, I think, that people agree on in the middle. But, you know, I was talking to one teacher in Pacifica who, for the first time at their school, will be teaching it in the fall. And he's kind of nervous because, you know, he, he knows that the community of Pacifica, even though it's in a very blue state, is a very diverse community with lots of different views. You know, he, he said he could sort of already hear um, the parents complaining about him making their kids, quote unquote, activists. You know, so they're sort of stuck in the middle trying to, just like in Florida and the rest of the country, you know, in places where they're saying, don't say gay, or you can't make kids uncomfortable if you talk about race, or you can't talk about race at all. You know, the teachers feel stuck in the middle, feeling this obligation to prepare the students as best they can for a future, an educated future, a a future where they're ready to tackle the problems in the world and in the country. But they know that this is so divisive. You know, they're the ones stuck right in the middle and, you know, worrying about whether they'll get fired if they teach something. They ask the kids to do a lesson that the parents are going to push back on. The teacher that I talked to, he doesn't want to water it down just so that everybody will be happy. You know, he wants the kids to learn. He wants them to think. He wants them to talk about these issues. I mean, is it fair to say, Jill, it really feels like it's the parents that are having a hard time with this, maybe even more so than the kids, because they have their own interpretation of race relations in this country. Yeah, you know, I definitely think that that is the case. I mean, there's certainly political leaders and political sides that are involved in the debate, but parents are also part of this. And, you know, if we think about it, the parents of the current high school students, they didn't take ethnic studies. There were no classes about race or racism or oppression or discrimination. And so a lot of this stuff is, you know, when it's new, when it's a change, it's really uncomfortable because I think a lot of parents are thinking, well, what are you teaching my child? You know, what what is this all about? Because they never experienced it. And so that leads to fear. That leads to misunderstanding. And so I think that, you know, for the students to talk about race or a lot of other issues that they're seeing on TikTok or other social media all the time, it's kind of no big deal. You know, they want to be able to talk about this together and think about it. But for the parents, it feels scary. Mm -hmm. And Jill, it feels like it's significant that California is the first in the nation to implement this on the high school level. While we're having these really large debates nationally, how significant is it for California to get this right, especially as what you're describing? It seems like it's going to be really uneven and rocky on the local level. Yeah, I mean, I I think we could actually see a lot of debate in communities like we're seeing in San Mateo right now and in Orange County and San Diego that have been grappling with this. And as, you know, the next few years unfold, I think we'll see that. On the other hand, I think the fact that communities are talking about this will lead the way for the rest of the country because they'll have to come to some decision about how to teach race. The fact that the state's going to require it is going to really force the hand of districts where they may not want to talk about it. And, you know, maybe that's the way 
that it will resonate across the country, that everybody had to sit down and figure this out. And by 2030, we will, I guess. Yeah. Jill, such a thorny topic to tackle. Thank you so much for doing it for us. I appreciate it. Oh, sure. It's been a tough one for sure. Jill Tucker covers education for The Chronicle. Her story about ethnic studies in California high schools publishes on Wednesday. You'll find it then at sfchronicle.com or on The Chronicle app. Thanks to Francesca Fenzi for producing this episode and to you for listening.